0: Let's begin in Deuteronomy chapter 8 this morning. I think of all the chapters in Deuteronomy, chapter 8 is probably, and 28, 8 and 28 are probably the two most known, the two most read chapters in Deuteronomy. And I think I make a, a mistake once in a while. I assume when I teach, that individuals understand certain things, and especially the younger people. Uh, sometimes I assume, since they grew up in the church, that they see and understand certain things. But if I were to ask you, who is being addressed in Deuteronomy specifically? The answer would be the children of Israel. Well, that's correct, and then yet it's not quite correct. So Deuteronomy if you go back to numbers, and actually in the Bible school, they'll be, be uh, teaching numbers this uh, time around numbers, deals with the, uh, the wilderness wanderings, basically. Now Deuteronomy is they, they call it the, um, the discourse or the message that the met Moses farewell message. And Deuteronomy is not addressed to those that were in the wilderness that died in the wilderness. Deuteronomy deals with the second generation, the next generation, those who came up, uh, that were younger, who saw their parents and their uncles and their grandparents and whomever die in the wilderness. And so the Lord, remember, he's always fair. Uh, His character is such that he judges righteously. Men don't believe that. And many times as Christians, we don't really see and believe God judges righteously. Now, we can whenever things are going correctly. But when certain things occur, certain things happen to us or people that we know, and we see a certain circumstance that we just cannot understand and justify, then we're not so sure that, you know, why does God do certain things? Why does he allow certain things? And, you know, we go through all the whys, you know, and how comes this is this, and so on and so forth. But one thing that the Lord is, is he he judges correctly, his character is, is good, he's fair. Now, we might not think he's fair, but he's fair. So Deuteronomy 8, when you begin to read this chapter... It's not addressing the older generation that died in the wilderness. Now you have the new generation, and you have those now who God is going to give them the opportunity. So if the older ones don't listen and they go their own way, God will still offer certain things to the younger generation. He will give them chance. He will give them opportunity. So that's what Deuteronomy is here. So, as I said, this is probably the most known read chapter in Deuteronomy 8 and 28. And we've read this chapter, and many have ministered from this chapter before. But I actually want to start here and then move on to something else in Deuteronomy 28. So, in uh, verse 1, this is... Moses speaking for the Lord and speaking to this generation that's coming up. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land. You see he's giving them opportunity. He gave the same opportunity to their parents and to their grandparents. But the opportunity wasn't taken up. The opportunity there um, was not... For, for them, was not something that was fulfilled. And go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord, your God, led you all these way, the ways in the wilderness. So right away, the Lord is evoking their memory. Remember that the Lord led you in the wilderness. Now we know that They had the tabernacle. We know that above the tabernacle you had the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. So that was basically their leading there, of course, through Moses and so on. And the the prior generation, maybe some of these he's addressing now, were very, very young. Maybe they were, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years old, eight years old when they come out of Egypt. And they saw certain things. They saw the miracles. They saw the leadings there of their parents. And so he's evoking their memory to go back and remember that the Lord led you. And they wandered for forty years. This was it was an eleven day journey from where they were in Egypt to the Promised Land. Eleven year, um, excuse me, eleven days, and the eleven days turned into. 40 years of hardship, trouble, and agony for them. See, the Lord, and we will see this, and we, uh, hopefully, the Lord will bring us into a wilderness-type situation in our life, but it's never to keep us there, never. We will come into it, and certain things the Lord will try to do in that, and then he will move us out of it. But they did not succeed because of their hearts, because of their thinking, and so, and, you know, their rebellion and so on, the things that we know about them. And, of course, that applies to mankind today, to all Christians. But he says that, remember that the Lord led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness, And then he begins to recount certain lessons that they were supposed to learn in the wilderness. He says, to humble you, and and by the way, um, reading the context here, to humble you, is referring, I believe, first of all, to the circumstance that they were in. It was a humbling thing to be, you know, in, in a wilderness not being in a place of safety, and, and you know, all these different things that we, we you know, know is more or less um, uh, a prosperous uh, way. So he, he leads them there into this humbling situation, but they never ever had that applied to them. They didn't see it, and their hearts were not humbled. See, so we as Christians can be brought into a circumstance to humble us, and we can go into that and come out of it, and our hearts be the same. We're never brought down in our spirit, in our heart. We're never humbled. And that's exactly what happened with the, the wilderness Israelites that died there. They were brought into this situation to learn certain things, to see certain things, so that it would apply, to, they would recognize it, and that that would apply to them, that they would they would take that. And a, a good example of that is in Matthew. Turn to Matthew 4. Just two verses here. This is when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted. Now when the tempter, verse 3, Now when the tempter came to him, Jesus, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus recognized what was going on in the situation, and he understood and replied to the enemy, to the devil, based upon what the Father showed him in the word. So there was a temptation in the wilderness, and he sought for what it was, and he said, this is how this is to be applied. Not that these stones would become bread, but you live by the word of God, which proceeds from him, from the Father. So it's no different with the children of Israel, and it's no different with us, we, all of our life, will be, we will be led into and out of circumstances, but that can be a benefit for us, or it can be of no use because of our reaction or our not recognizing and seeing certain things, not observing certain things. So in the wilderness, back in Deuteronomy 8 here, so verse um, 2, he says, "...to test you to know what was in your heart." Uh, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. He fed you with manna. So manna, look at verse 16. He says the same basic thing. "Who, Who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know. So manna was to teach them dependency upon the Lord or a dependency upon his word. So that, you know, here they are, they have no food. You know, you, you get hungry, what do you do? You go home, you go, you open the refrigerator, or you, you make something, or you, you have someone else make something for you, whatever. Okay, you get hungry and you eat. They didn't have that. They had nothing out there. So there was a total dependence upon the Father for the supply of the manna. But they weren't in that place where they were depending upon the Father. Their thoughts were going back to, e- to Egypt and the leeks and the garlic and the onions and so on. So manna was supposed to teach them something, and it didn't. And another scripture says that they wandered for 40 years and their clothes never wore out. Without some high-quality clothing, huh? No, I don't care how good the quality of clothing would be, to be in a rocky, sandy place for 40 years, your clothes would wear out. But see, there was something there that they had to learn that they never learned, is that God was faithful. They never learned that. And then another scripture says that the soles of their feet did not swell for 40 years, and, and usually whenever you're in a hot, arid place and you walk, the feet naturally, naturally begin to swell. But 40 years, they went around the wilderness and their feet didn't swell because God had provided for them. He provided a way they never saw it. That's why they never made the 11-day journey. They made it into 40 years. So it doesn't matter whether a Christian is a younger Christian or someone that's been around a long time. You know, we all have opportunities to learn. And the Lord will be fair in his opportunity for you as an individual. If you want to walk with him, he will bring certain things your way to give you opportunity. Why? Well, there's a verse here, verse 16. It says, to do you good in your latter end. That which the Lord sees very good at doing what he does, and he's looking out for your best interest. We don't really think that many times, especially when we struggle, especially when we have difficulties. We don't think sometimes that God is looking out for our best interest or, you know, we don't believe that this particular thing that we're experiencing that we can learn and see and there can be something applicable to us, to our heart to change us. So in verse 3, he says, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. He fed you with manna, which he did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word which proceeds from. And this is the important thing. For the heart to benefit in this type of an environment, in this type of a circumstance, the heart must be set toward what you see in the latter part of this verse, the mouth of the Lord. The heart must be ready and receptive to the mouth of the Lord, that which is proceeding from him. Now, in verse 11, so the the Lord in Deuteronomy, he spells it out for them. He says, I'm going to give you the opportunity, but this is the way you have to go. You know, your fathers didn't go that way, but now it's time for you to make up your mind. It's time for you to make some decisions. Do you understand that we are decision making creations? It's so different than the animal. Decision making creations of God. And no matter how you look at it, we will make decisions. So he puts it out there. He says, okay. If you want the blessing, this is what you need to do. So in verse 11, he gives them this warning. He says, beware that you do not forget the Lord. Well, how do you or how do you think that they forgot the Lord? Or let's apply it to the Christian today. How can or how does the Christian forget the Lord? says right in the verse, by not keeping his commandments, by not keeping what proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, whatever that may be to you personally, whatever that is that he's showing you, whatever direction that may be for you, that you must keep. He says, now, beware, beware, beware. Verse 14, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord. So they forgot the Lord. The first generation forgot the Lord in that they didn't do what he said. They didn't keep his commandments, his statutes. they, They had no interest in certain things there, and they went their way. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Verse 20, as the nations which the Lord destroys before you, So you shall perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So the word perish there can mean die physically. It also can mean a destruction. Or a basic meaning is to wander away. You wander away. You can see this graphically with those who served the Lord for a period of time and it's almost as though they're as they're like a ship or a boat that was tied to a dock and now they lost their mooring the rope and it sits there and it very slowly just drifts it may not it may even look as though the um, the ocean, the, the not the, necessarily the ocean, but the um, the river or a lake is very calm, but there's always undercurrents that we don't see. And so that that the boat sits there and in a few minutes it's drifted 10, 20 feet. Another five minutes it's drifting another direction here. Before you know, it's out and away from its foundation, from its mooring. And so the Lord here, he says this very graphically, beware that you do not forget. If you are going to go the way of disobedience, as the other nations have, he says, you will perish. You'll wander away. And as I said, you can see that graphically with people. Now, in chapter 9, turn to chapter 9. Obedience places the focus of your life upon the Lord. Disobedience places the focus of our lives upon ourself. I mean, that's just a very um, clear way to see what goes on with obedience and Disobedience. So obedience places the focus on the Lord. Now in verse 11, And it shall come to pass at the end of the forty days and the forty nights that the Lord gave, gave me, Moses, the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way quickly turned aside from the direction which I commanded them they have made themselves a molded image so disobedience here was in their self-centeredness it was turned towards self what they saw what they thought uh, what they wanted to do so they make this this calf you know that And and that becomes a self-centered thing, and it becomes the easier way than to depend upon the Lord and to look to the Lord and and so on and so forth. Now, in chapter 10, the Lord says here in verse 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And he goes on and he says, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So what the Lord requires cannot truly be fulfilled unless the individual heart has been humbled. So going back to Deuteronomy 8, he said the purpose for all this here, one of the purposes was to humble you. So if the Lord would have been successful in that, then that which he required, they would be able to do that from the heart, uh, to walk in his ways, to fear the Lord, to love him, to serve him, and so on. But because he could not do that with them, he could not humble them, the, the heart that's lifted up can't function in certain things. It just can't. That, that applies today, too. The heart that's lifted up cannot function in certain things. You cannot really walk in the spirit because you are lifted up instead of being down to hear what the spirit is saying. So it's very critical. So now this second generation, they have the opportunity, and, and we know what happened. They were pretty successful. They were the only generation... Uh, that were that were successful as far as the Israelites, as far as a whole. I mean, there were pockets here and there. You had the remnants throughout the, the different books and the prophets. But as far as the people as a whole, they were the only ones that were successful. And I believe because the Lord showed them this, and He put that before them, and they had the contrast now of this is the word of the Lord, and This is going to happen just as our fathers died in the wilderness. So the Lord gave them uh, this opportunity to continue in his word, even though there was a failure before that. I like that. So now they've come of age. And to have this fulfilled, what the Lord requires is going to take a cessation. You're going to, the spirit has to go down. The Lord has to, to, to do that work, and the individual has to be willing to be brought down in regards to what anybody else thinks or sees. And as I said, they, they were pretty successful. And once again, verse 13, And to keep the commandments... Of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. See, the Lord knows what is best for us. We don't know. People don't know. There are Christians that don't know what's good for them. Now, in Ecclesiastes, I just want to just read a verse here. This is the last verse in Ecclesiastes. Well, we'll read the last two. Solomon says, "Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter." He's he's telling you he goes through all these different things, and now he says, "This is what I came up. This was the, the this is my equation, and this is what I, what I come up as far as the answer to this. This is the conclusion of all this. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this uh, for this is man's all. Well, you know, once again." Unless the heart is brought down, you can't fear God and keep his commandments, truly, in the true sense. I'm not talking about legalistically. I'm talking about in spirit, spiritually keeping his commandments. Um, Then he goes on and he says, For God will bring every work into judgment everything that's done, um, every opportunity, every responsibility that he's given to you as an individual, he'll, all that is a work, you know, every work. He'll bring every work into judgment. Uh, every responsibility that has been brought your way will be brought into judgment. And it's kind of a strange thing. I'm kind of getting off here, but it's kind of a strange thing to see uh, someone who the Lord has given uh, opportunity to, and maybe they even walked in that for a while, and then they go a different way. And, you know, are they still Christians? Yes, yes. Will they go to heaven? Yes, but that's not the issue. See, what, what's at issue is the end, the conclusion of the matter, not what is seen right now. So you know, you see the person, you know, they're they're serving the Lord, so to speak. They go to church. They may teach whatever they do, but they they don't see the conclusion now, as opposed to the conclusion that should have been. And. You have the calling of God going on, and you have those who answer that call, and you have those who don't answer the call. And they they still function in life. Um, They may go to church and what have you. But the conclusion of the matter there has not been seen yet. And for the most part, they are blind to that. See, the Lord has to open up our eyes to see certain things, and we won't see it. It's just that simple. We will not see certain things. doesn't matter how long we've gone to church. It doesn't matter. Five, ten, twenty years, thirty years, forty years, doesn't matter. It's not about how long you've gone to church. It's, you know, have we opened our heart to the Lord? Has He brought us down and has He opened our eyes to see certain things? You know, and have we, have we moved in certain things, to certain responsibilities? So in Romans, and we're not going to go there, but he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, we know that. We know that. And it's so funny. I mean, it's not funny, but I mean, it's, maybe I should use the word strange, that you know, we can read scriptures, not just we, us. I mean, you know, Christians in general. And know what they say, but really, we don't understand and know what's going on because you know, the reality of that hasn't touched our life, hasn't touched our heart. You know, we haven't been brought down to understand that we cannot please God in the flesh. The fleshly nature that you have, the carnal nature, you cannot please God anyway way in that at all. Now, in chapter 11 of Deuteronomy, and of course in chapter 28, you see this thing going on, the blessing and the curse. So I was looking at this very briefly, and I found out that there are five Hebrew words that the English word curse translates. And so it's... It's like a whole study, a weeks of study, just five five words. But I looked at the one word because that word is used in Deuteronomy twenty eight, where we see the blessing and the cursing. And of course, as I said before, the blessing, I believe, is what we see in Deuteronomy eight three, is this humble heart. And the cursing, is this heart that's lifted up. So now that changed the whole dynamic of this as far as I'm concerned. Because most Christians, because they have received Christ as their Savior, and they read the Bible, they go to church, they they do, you you know, what Christians do, they will say that they are not under the curse of the law. But it's not based upon just that Jesus died for me on the cross. I mean, that is true. That's the end of the curse. But remember something, that the Lord deals with us individually, and he sets certain things there, as he did with the children of Israel, and he brings us into circumstances to see what's going on in our heart and to show us that, that particular thing, what's going on in our heart so that we can make the correct decisions based upon what the Spirit of God is showing us. So here's here's an interesting thing. Now, the word curse in Deuteronomy 28, it has two meanings, two basic meanings. Of course, these words, you can just continue on with them in different scriptures. But the one meaning is the absence of blessing. So, I want to write this down here. Now, the absence of blessing, you say, well, that's obvious. If the, if the curse is upon a person, there's a lack of blessing. But the second meaning here is what I think is very, very enlightening. Lesser. Lowering to a lesser state. We always relate this to saved and unsaved. If you're unsaved, you're under the curse. If you're saved, you're not under the curse. Well, the meaning here is that those under the curse, regardless of what they believe or think the Bible says, they are moving into a lesser state, a spiritual state of being. So if if you disobey the Lord... Or if the Lord shows you his purpose. you know He was trying to show the children of Israel in the wilderness his purpose. And that's why he's telling them, this, this next generation, that's why he's saying what he said in Deuteronomy 8. This is what was going on here. He wanted to humble you, he wanted to test you, and all these different things. So he, here the Lord shows them tells them, directs them, according to this purpose that he has. And the Lord will show a Christian a purpose. What's your purpose? Well, let's say it's um, to teach. Or let's say it's to go to the mission field. Or let's say it's to go um, door to door. He shows you this purpose. Now, you can move in that by faith. Remember, they could not enter into rest because they did not have faith. So you can have faith in God or faith toward God and move in that purpose by faith. And when you do, the blessing of God Is upon your heart and your life. If you decide that I don't want to do that, that's not for me, you know, whatever excuses, people have lots of them. That's not where I am now. I've heard many excuses. Well, I don't believe the Lord wants me here at this church, you know, because of such and such and such and such. You know, I think it's a cult and all this other stuff. So I'm going to go out and do my own thing. I'm going here. I'm going to do that. I'm still serving the Lord. If you move away from the purpose that God has had, if he has gifted you and he has put a purpose there, if you don't move in that purpose, you will move to a lesser state. And that's what the curse is. You're going to move into something else, and nobody's going to see the end of that matter. See, they're going to see you where you are. They're going to look at you, and they're going to see, oh, that's who you are. Hi, how you doing? But they're not going to see the end of the matter. Oh, they're, they're a good Christian. They're going to church. You know, they, they do great things for people. They, um, they may teach whatever. But have they moved away from the purpose, if they have? And I, I'm not judging anyone. I mean, I can, I can see certain things. I run into a person, and I look at that, and I, I don't even know what they're doing, but I can see that they're not in the purpose of God. They're, they're, they're doing things for the Lord, but they're not in the purpose of God. So what occurs is, this is the curse. They're going, it's lowering to a lesser state. So it's not about what we think a lot of times. You know, we think this is this and that's that. It's not necessarily, you know, what we think. Well, I'm still serving the Lord. and you know, Are we moving in the purpose? Or are we going to throw that off like the children of Israel in the wilderness did? Now, in chapter 11, verse 26... He says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. Now, we know that. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and a curse if you, not, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord. So, there is something here that stands between the blessing and the curse, There's something in between the blessing and the curse. And it shows you in this chapter what it is. In in verse 16, chapter 11. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived. Deception is in between the blessing and the cursing. So that he sets before you, before the Christian, blessing and cursing. But there's something else there in the middle, and that's this deception. And deception can keep the individual from seeing the blessing and moving toward the blessing because of their own thinking, because of where they are, because of maybe certain things going on inside them that the Lord couldn't deal with, whatever it may be. So so the Lord... Says there's this deception there, and we need Him to bring our hearts down, 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 so that when we move into it, we see what is true, what is right, and what is light. And so the deception now does not wrap itself around. Our eyes, like it says in Corinthians, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. You know, this deception can, can just wrap itself around, and the individual now cannot see clearly, and so now they do not understand nor see, uh, or they forget the purpose of God. So now they're in this you know, precarious situation. And if the Lord can't break through the deception, then they move in a degree of blindness that the end of the matter will reveal, unless the Lord is able to open the eyes of the person, the Christian. Or if a lot of times the Lord shows someone else so that they can say something maybe to help. But usually, from what I have seen, you know, that, that counsel, those words are just you know, rejected because they think they see and they're in this deception. Very strange. You know, we need the Lord. We really need the Lord. And the further I go on in the Lord, the more I say, Lord, I need you because you know, we can be deceived. And the Lord recently showed me some things about myself a few months ago and said, okay, now it's time for a change. I knew what he was talking about. Now, am I going to to deceive myself (laughs) or am I going to walk with him? So the blessing is set before us. The curse is set before us. I said, okay, now what are you going to do, generation? What are you going to do? Are you going to walk in the vanity of your mind, the vanity of your thinking? Or are you going to depend upon the Lord to open your eyes and keep you straight, keep you upright? Now turn to John. Hold your place in Deuteronomy. John 8. In John 8... In verse 3, Jesus is dealing with the scribes and Pharisees. Um, Let's see here. Verse 13, he's dealing with the Pharisees. Verse 22, he's talking to the Jews. Now, this this is something for the Lord to reveal to you. Verse 23, Jesus says to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. Now, what do you mean by that, Jesus? What makes you from above? Because you're the Son of God. Well, not necessarily. What makes them from beneath? You are of this world. I am not of this world. So those who are of this world, and he he doesn't qualify that as say, okay, this means all non-Christians, unbelievers, are of this world. All Christians are not of this world. Well, it's true that non-believers are are of this world. But there are some Christians who are of this world, too, because that's their their focus. The the world, it says we are to be in the world, but not of the world. There's Christians who are of the world. They're very worldly. Uh, their carnality has taken them in a direction that is not pleasing the Lord. You can't, you know, in the flesh, you cannot please the Lord, we read before. Or I, I said that before from Romans. So Jesus says, I am from above, you are from beneath. Now go to Deuteronomy. I should have read one more verse here. That's okay. Deuteronomy 28. In John 3, it says, He that is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. Did you get that? He that is of the earth is earthly and speaks or speaketh of the earthly. There's a focus in the heart, that which is earthly. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 13. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be what? Above. And not be what? Beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you today, and be careful to observe them. And be careful to observe them. The word observe means to hedge about as with thorns. Or it can mean to be watchful, to be like a watchman. See, all of us have the capacity to watch what's going on in our spirits. Did you know that? All you need to do is stop and kind of say, well, okay, what's going on here now? You are the watchman upon the tire of your heart. So you're, you're to be watching what's coming out, what's going on with your heart. To see what's, what's happening. What's your motives behind doing things? You know, all, all that. The Lord will open your eyes to that. In Deuteronomy 11, one verse in closing, see, if we are not to be affected by the curse we must obey the Lord and be diligent. Verse 22. Deuteronomy 11, I'm in the wrong chapter here. 11, For if you diligently or carefully keep all these commandments which the Lord commanded you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then he will bring the blessing upon you. He'll drive out the nations and so on and so forth. So you and I have this great opportunity in our lifetime to function under the blessing or to move into a place where, as the curse is defined, we are lowered to a lesser state And as I said earlier, we are beings that are made. We are made. We are decision-making creations. And our decisions can be extremely important. Our decisions will take us either in this direction of the purpose and the blessing, and the blessing that comes upon us in that way, or our decision will take us... You know, some people make rash decisions, and then they stick with them. And they will take a person to this lesser state. You know, doesn't. It, I'm talking about whether they're going to heaven or not. Yes, they're going to heaven. You know, they've, they've come to Christ, but that's not the issue. When they appear before the Lord, will they have gleaned what the Lord wanted in their life? In their wanderings, in their journeys, or will they appear before Him in this lesser state? And the Lord says, You know, this is what I have for you, and this is what you should have become. And now you're you're here, you're down lower, you're in this lower state. And now, because of that, you know, this is your reward, this is what you get, you know, this is for you, this is what this is not for you. This is you can't function in this, you can't do this. So the Lord's going to bring every work, and also says in that uh, portion of Scripture, and every secret thing, that's what uh, Solomon says, and every secret thing, He's going to judge that which is not seen by anybody. So the motives of your heart, when you do things, people may see it and they say, "Well, that's, that's good. He's, he's a good guy, but the motive of your heart is not seen, but the Lord does that's a secret thing. He's going to bring it all into judgment. It's going to be right there. So I have better thinking of you here today. And I believe that that many of you will continue on in the purpose. And those of you who maybe the Lord has been dealing with in a certain thing in your life, that this is what you need to do. Not all this other stuff is fine but this is what you need to be doing. If he's dealing with your heart, then then relinquish, let just let it go and and move in this way so that your your life will have the blessing of God upon it now and forevermore. Amen.